when preparation meets opportunity, good things do happen. So after learning a couple of hard lessons throughout that process, you start to learn from the process and go, okay, I'll get over what happened. Now, how do I make sure that doesn't happen again? Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. So, wow. We have a fantastic guest for you today, Mark Cox, who was with us a number of decades ago. He had so much amazing things to share for our young leaders. Mark had a fantastic career in corporate sales, starting out originally at Kodak, one of the leading organizations, dozens of years ago in corporate sales. He was uh, one of the real powerful leaders in an an enormous organization that probably no one really has heard about called Simcor, was heading towards the top of that organization until sort of strategy changes, decided that it wasn't the organization for him. And he went out and he developed his own sales organization called In the Funnel. And it's done remarkably well over the last number of years. Mark, in this episode, shares so many really, really valuable takeaways for our young leaders and talks about selling not a $10,000 deal, a $100,000 deal, a million dollar deal, a $10 million deal, but a billion dollar piece of business. So fascinating. I know you're going to love this conversation. Please tune in. Please share our podcast with any amazing young leader that you know, someone who's looking for a big future like Mark. Thanks so much, and I really appreciate you tuning in. First of all, Mark, thank you very much for making time in your crazy busy schedule and and supporting all the people that you do um, to uh, spend time with us. We're excited to have uh, an amazing leader, uh, Mark Cox, with us. And and Mark, I know it's been been a long time, but... Describe what were you before being involved in the Student Works program? What, what did you? How did you see yourself? Um, you know, what, what did you see for your future? You know, uh, just just thinking back. Oh, what a great question, Chris! And first of all, thank you very much for having me this morning. So so great to connect back in with you. You know, prior to Student Works, Chris, I, I had been an extremely active high school athlete and student. And, you know, um, where uh, every week was absolutely well-scheduled and well-filled. And, and boy, I was probably a little sleep-deprived in those days getting from week to week, but really active and engaged. And then when I went to university, I went to Western. Right. And I would have been young for Western, so, so I was on the younger end of people who went. And I think I, I got lost a little bit in the whole social life of that university because I wasn't playing sports anymore because I wasn't university caliber hockey player. I found the academics because of the high school I went to, I found the academics under challenging. Yeah. And, and I found the social life just incredibly invigorating. Yeah. And so for, for about uh, three or four years, two or three years, at least, I think I was enjoying things, but part of me was under challenged and there was a dissatisfaction there. And I couldn't, at that point in time, I didn't have the tool set to figure out why there was a dissatisfaction. Right. But, but uh, getting involved with student works kind of opened my eyes to exactly what happened. Yeah. So, so can you think before you started the business, like what were the big frustrations that you had or like thinking back now? And like you said, isn't it interesting that a lot of times we really can't identify it, right? right. We really can't, can't sort of put our, put our mind on it. Um, and, and that's why one of the greatest things about maturity, um, or at least for me, and I think for people who actually are in the game of self-awareness, becoming more, right. and more aware of ourselves, our strengths, our weaknesses, what's really going on. I remember my, my wife used to tell me, Chris, something's wrong. What do you mean something? Uh, things are good. What do you mean? You know, but, but no, so, and she was right, by the way, something was wrong and I needed, I couldn't identify it. Yeah. I couldn't name it either. And so I think looking back now, by the way, what was wrong was 
um, I needed to be learning. Right. I needed ah. to be developing. I needed to be growing. And all of that had been happening really exponentially in high school because the academics at that school were very difficult. The athletics were very difficult. There were multiple athletics. So managing time was very difficult. And when I went to university, um, you know, I was just doing kind of BA. Yes. Economics. Um, all of that dropped off a cliff. You, the academics were easy. Yes. Um, the, the, there was no athletics and I didn't have the personal discipline to keep it going. And then um, I didn't have the tool set to understand where some dissatisfaction was coming. Right, right. So, Mark, you know, obviously you've identified learning as a real key driver for you. So yeah. and, and obviously now you're you're leading a learning organization and training and coaching and developing. But and then we will get into that. But what do you do now for your learning, for your to stretch you, to get you out of your comfort zone? Yeah, great question as well. So a few things, Chris. So um, I did actually get this chance to name it after doing some behavioral testing over the last number of years and that, that I do love learning. And that right. actually started when I went back to school and did an executive MBA. And I was just completely invigorated by the whole process. Yeah. So, so today, what I like to do is a day like today, I like to get up uh, about five in the morning and from five to 545. I'll start to feed my caffeine addiction with a nice fire going, but, but I continue to read about a book a month on professional B2B selling. Okay. Because, you know, and that's our area of core focus today, but we really have an appetite for it. There's really kind of an epidemic issue in that world today. And the more we learn about it after having done it for 23, 24 years, the more I'm aware that the, the universe of what I don't know far exceeds what I do know. Isn't that amazing? That's one of the ways we feed it. And I'm also receiving personal coaching. I'm a member of something called Strategic Coach, which coaches entrepreneurs on taking their businesses to the next level. And it's a fantastic program. And for me, it'll probably be a lifelong program. But that's another uh, one of the personal development courses that I kind of take. Well, I know I did. I did the strategic coach for five years or so, and and I still use so many of the amazing, you know, just thought provoking ideas and and systems and habits that they have. Uh, yeah. My partner did it as well, and uh, so I, I, you know, I can't speak enough. And they have a lot of free material for young, you know, our young leaders. They have a lot yes. of free material on their website. So, you know, it is a very expensive program. It's for, you know, really, really successful entrepreneurs who have a big budget to invest in their, their ongoing learning. But for our young leaders, you can go to strategiccoach.com to access a bunch of that free material that they're happy to share, you know, for, for these young leaders who are listening to our podcast. So, before we talk about your career, what do you still rely on from the program? If you think about if you think about those days back in your early twenties or you know late teens doing our program, what do you, what do you still rely on, Mark? I'll share a couple of great things that never change. So first of all, you know the importance of putting the customer first was something I learned originally in Student Works, and the teaching is so clear because you're going to do a paint job for uh, three or four days. And, if, and at the end of that three or four days, you're going to go and ask for a check. Yeah. And, and so if you haven't delighted that customer, that's going to become a very difficult conversation. That, that was one of the things that I've, I've never lost. The second was the importance of planning and scheduling. Right. Because there were so many things that you had to get used to in terms of multitasking in that environment. Um, that was a very, very big thing. The, the third was just effective coaching. Mm -hmm. So the ability, you know, both when I was a painter managing a team of people or a manager managing the team of painters, or even, Chris, under your guidance, when I was a district manager managing managers, this fundamental uh, premise has never changed that I originally learned in student, student works, which is if you tell somebody something, they can't hear it. Right. If you question them so that they come to the understanding of it. Yeah then it will resonate. Yes. And boy, we work with lots of companies today, Chris, and I've had a career spanning the large corporate world and entrepreneurs. I'm amazed at how many folks don't understand that core principle. Yeah. 
the last fun one I'll share is in my first training session for Student Works, um, a a stout, large, young blonde god stood at the front of the room. His, his initials were CT. And he shared this. He said his favorite artist was somebody called, I think, Alexander Goya. Yes. And I don't know why I've remembered this 30 years later. And you said, the reason you like that artist is because Goya is the acronym for get off your ass. Yeah. If you have something to do, don't defer it. Just take it on. Yeah. Um, I've had a 25-year career where I've never forgot that acronym. Oh, yeah. That one stuck and resonated and just get off your ass and do it. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's right. I know one of our one of our podcasters, one of our you know alumni called it the student works grind, you know, and I know you're still doing it, getting up at five in the morning. But again, it's it's exciting, it's invigorating. And one of the things as well, just to make sure that our young leaders got what you shared, because uh, it's so important, is if I'm told, Chris, you need to do this. The likelihood of, first of all, even if I'm being coachable, because, gosh, I'm listening to Mark and he's super smart and I want to get what Mark gets. Even if I'm told there's a real chance I won't get it unless I discover it. So by Mark asking me a question and, well, have you considered this, Chris? And what happened when this happened? And what happened when this happened? And what happened when that happened? And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wow, Mark, I should do that. And then all of a sudden, it's like all the brain or, you know, again, I, I haven't studied biology. So, so you know, the, the different parts of the brain pop and bang, we've got. And then those are really powerful coaching moments. And so as leaders, one of the best things we do is ask lots of questions, you know, and that's why one of the things as well that I find so exciting ongoing about coaching is it's always different. Because every conversation is different about trying to get them to, or trying to get us to actually have those, hey, I got it. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. So. You know, Chris, it's funny. Um, I went to the corporate world soon after my student works experience. And what was evident was how good the coaching that I had received from student works was. Mm -hmm. But it was almost it, it's invisible. Right. At the time, you know, you didn't recognize these things until you saw somebody doing it badly. <laughs> Frankly, that, you know, that's when it's, you know, you're coming out of meetings with managers who are barking at you and you're wondering, why do I feel so bad about all of this stuff, even though my results are knocking the ball out of the park? Yes. The reality was they were just not well versed or well trained in coaching. Yeah, well, it's actually interesting. There's been some new books coming out recently. Uh, um, there's a weekly business conversations. This book talking about a New York best times, uh, New York Times bestseller just a couple of years ago, and basically it shared what we've been doing at Student Works for decades. You know, yeah. how do you coach? a weekly meeting, you know, coaching people. And again, not barking at people, you know, how do we lead? How do we coach? How do we, again, have people just discover the best part of themselves, you know, believing in each person. And just like you who reads all the best sales materials, uh, you know, in the sales ideas, I'm reading all the ongoing coaching and leadership books awesome. on a basis, just for the same thing. I fall to try to understand what we know and then what we don't know, what opportunities for development there are. You know what, Chris? I think our young leaders listening to this would love to see your reading list sometime. Oh, that's a oh, great idea. Yeah, yeah, put a picture, picture of your favorite books, just to, you know, an image of your favorite books in your library or a blog post or something, because I, I bet they have a real appetite for that. I know I do, by the way. I'd love to see it. Well, that's well, well Mark, uh, happy to share it. And in our operations manual, we actually share our book list. But you're, that's a great idea. Well, sorry, I've already made a note of that. I'm very coachable. <laughs> in that sense, awesome. <laughs> so tell me more about your career progress, uh, Mark. You came out of Student Works. I imagine, I believe, I recall you went into sales, not surprisingly, uh, because that was very clearly one of your real amazing skill sets. So tell us about you know what you did, what you saw, et cetera. Sure. So, so right after Student Works, and, and I had been a painter, then a manager for a couple right. of years, and a district manager, and then I, I had the privilege of opening up a couple of geographic locations for Student Works as a full-time uh, venture. Yes. And after all of that, I actually ended up in professional sales in the corporate world. And it was the earliest days of technology, Chris, but back in those days, technology were really big photocopiers. 
Right. Yes. And, and so uh, what I do remember today is I, I was hired by Kodak, the Eastman okay. Kodak company. They sold big photocopiers that cost like 50K to a couple hundred K. Yes. But, but that was meaningful money back in 1991. You bet. And so they immediately, what they did do in those days was they had great sales training. So I went down to their, their six, seven week program in Rochester. And actually, because of my student works training, they would take a class of 80 new hires and put them through a pretty rigorous six-week program and rate them. Everybody right. came out with a rating scale, and I came first out of the 80, wow. mostly because of the sales training that I'd received at Student Works and uh, over the last three or four years, which was awesome. But selling that technology evolved into selling something called outsourcing. Right. And I got into that world where instead of buying technology or capabilities, companies bought the service. And I became part of a startup that got acquired by a much larger company. And from 2000 to 2011, I found myself as kind of an executive with a company called Simcor that did back office processing and outsourcing. So they outsourced big functions from large banks. Right. And, and so I was privileged to get a chance to develop my education a little bit more than I, I had this appetite for learning. So I went back and did an executive MBA while working, frankly, because I thought it would be fun. Right. And it was, you know, um, and then a couple of neat things have happened to me in my career along that path where I closed billion dollar transaction, turned around sales teams multiple times. And after Simcor, um, I had a pivot point in my career where I simply became an executive without a portfolio at a large technology company and was really tasked with turning around under parts of the underperforming parts of the sales organization right. or helping with the largest transactions they were trying to close. And then by accident, that um, kind of led me to what we do today in the funnel, which was I had this passion for disciplined, process-driven sales execution. And we found that we're pretty good. We had a process and a methodology for assessing a sales organization and figuring out the levers to, to improve it. And we started this business in 2013, so five, six years ago. And we help companies sell better as long as they're right. beaten. And we do right. it through consulting or coaching and consulting. Or we have classroom workshops where we bring folks from the public in for single day sessions to elevate sales performance. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that surrounds those two core services. So that's really what the career has looked like in the 25 years or so since student works. And I got to say, the whole thing's been a delight. Yes. You know, more than anything, I think I've been really fortunate over my career to be able to do things I love. And we absolutely love what we do. This is, we do this because we want to do it. Right. Yeah. No, I certainly, that's always been my experience of you, Mark. You know, just oh, really, no, you're just really, really passionate about your music, fitness, your business, your, you know, people. And just that just comes out from you. And again, I'm fortunate as well to really, again, love what I do. So, you know, obviously we've known each other a long time. So I know a whole bunch about you, but I read your website just because I did my work. I did my Thank and, you. And one of it, Absolutely. So I gotta tell you, I was gonna ask about that billion dollar sales. I don't know anyone who's ever sold or been part of selling, because I know it's part of selling a mm-hmm. billion dollar agreement. So t- tell the young leaders about that. Like we're pretty excited when our young leaders sell, you know, ten thousand dollar jobs. So a billion dollars. Wow. Yeah, you know, up to that point in time, I, I had done million dollar deals or $10 million deals. And when you look at these agreements, by the way, what happens is it's a contracted agreement for a period of time, right? A three-year deal where you're generating a million dollars worth of revenue for three years, the total contract value is $3 million. So yes. that's when you get to these big numbers. Right. But at the core, something like an outsourcing agreement is difficult to sell, but crazy difficult to negotiate. Yes. <laughs> so, so because, you know, you're managing a 300-page contractual agreement, there's 52 terms and conditions that kind of really matter. Yes. And there's two or three that every agreement comes to the final negotiation on. Things right. like limitation of liability or, you know, performance penalties and all these yes. things. So, frankly, you know, the process of selling it wasn't as complex nearly as this process of trying to negotiate it. 
because you're still selling during the negotiation process of these types of things. Yes. And one of the things that's helpful, I think, for these young leaders is nobody's got experience negotiating a deal at large. There's just not, there just aren't that many of them. And I can certainly tell you when I was doing it or, or part of a team of people that were involved, um, I was so far above my head, it wasn't even funny. Right. And so, so you always come back to this concept back from the Dale Carnegie days of, hey, there's this comfort zone. Yeah. And every time you jump outside your comfort zone, the comfort zone gets bigger. Yeah. But if you never jump outside your comfort zone, it shrinks. Yes. And I'll tell one story now that the names are, are not involved. But, you know, the first day of negotiation for this huge kind of type of transaction, and this had happened to us a couple of times. You don't know what you're walking into. Usually you have a small team of people that join you for the first day of negotiations. But walking into the big legal boardroom where the, you know, the tables uh, longer than the combination of my living room and dining room. <laughs> so it was longer. And they're all lined up on one side with the computers in front of them. And I got my knapsack. You know, it's me and my knapsack and a laptop and a couple of guys. So yeah. um, uh, fear and anxiety were, were regular visitors in my bio ecosystem here during, the, yeah. during these negotiations. And what, what you realize at the end of the day is, you know, is when preparation meets opportunity, good things do happen. So after learning a couple of hard lessons throughout that process, you start to learn from the process and go, okay, I'll get over what happened. Now, how do I make sure that doesn't happen again? For sure. And so for, in my way of thinking, for every term and condition, you know, I'd start to think about what's their position going to be? What's our position going to be? And what's the interest behind the position. So people ask for things, but what do they really want? And then how do I defend what we really want by using third-party market, industry market approaches that are reasonable? Right. So, you know, somebody doesn't just come up and say, I want a price discount. They say, I want a price discount because we've done some research and we've seen the industry tell us these things. So, as soon as you understood what, what the process looked like, you had to defend your position with evidence, you can start to get comfortable about some of the things you're asking for. And so that, that was a wonderful learning curve for, for me, Chris. And, and you know, frankly, you get very fortunate that these things close because a deal can always go south for lots of reasons. And the other thing, the key learning for me during that period of time would have been there were periods where certainly it looked very much like it wouldn't happen. Right. And one of the things I always think about in these little runs I like to do, you just take the next step. Yeah. And sometimes when you're going for a long jog or something of that nature, thinking about, well, how am I going to finish 15 kilometers today when yep. you're a kilometer in and it's freezing is the wrong way to look at it. How you do I want to do it? it? Yeah. I don't want to do this. And your body's going, <laughs> not today, not today. Exactly. Yeah. The idea sometimes is just take the next step. Yeah. So don't worry about what's happening there. Let's just get through the next thing and try and do our best. But certainly at the end of that whole process, there was a lot of gratitude that it got done. Yeah. And frankly, unlike my student work days where I could go in, sell a paint job, and an hour later I get a thrill. Yes, for sure. When you work these deals for so long, the thrill diminishes. It's more of a relief. Yeah, yes, that's right. So you got to figure out other ways of keeping yourself buoyant. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was a wonderful experience. And frankly, I was pretty lucky that the powers that be allowed me to run with that. Right. I certainly didn't have any expertise or experience that would have indicated I'd be good at it. Yeah. Well, so there's just you had some faith in me. Well, there's just so much wisdom that you shared there, Mark, that I want to make sure the leaders pick up on is, you know, one of the things I just love is here's a seasoned executive making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, and he's really nervous. He's really frightened. He's really over his head. That's what he's saying. And guess what? He did it anyway. And that's one of the things that all of our young leaders are going to be facing, you know, in their early, early parts of their careers and later parts of their careers. They're uncomfortable. They're not doing something that that, that's comfortable and they do it anyway. They go get their coaching. And like you said, you don't get as many, you know, maybe highs because, again, as you become more and more senior, more and more successful, you know, so often people think 
wish I was that person. Wow, they've got their life so together. And the reality is, is no, the same thing. It's hard to wake up in the morning sometimes for people. It's hard. I, I want to go work out. And the dark side of my brain, the however you want to refer, it says, no, I don't want to do it. And or no, I don't want to make these calls. No, I don't want to talk to that customer. No, I don't want to serve, finish that customer's problem. No, I don't want to talk to my employee who's unhappy. And all those things will not serve your goals, will not serve the customer, will not serve your employees, will hurt your business, will hurt your long-term career. And so successful people just do it anyway. I don't want to, but I'll do it anyway. You got it. And but Chris, I can still remember my student work days. Some of these lessons were so good where I sold a paint job to a car dealership. Okay. And that was both the best day of my summer up to that point, <laughs> you know, a month or two in. And then a little bit of the worst day because I was dealing with the general manager of the car dealership. And I, I think looking back, he might have taken a liking to a young entrepreneur. Right. But it was their office space we were painting. And as soon as he signed up and said he'd do it, I thought to myself, this guy is going to be a very, very hard guy to please. Yeah. And having so, so you know, both thrilled and then a little scared. And frankly, we started painting. Uh, in the evenings because we couldn't paint during the days because they were working there. And then after about the second day, I got a phone call where he was extremely upset because some of the team had had some paint spills over some brand new office furniture, just drips, but lots of them over brand new office furniture. And as I had him on the phone, one of the, there were two things that kind of were conflicting in me. And in those days, they were pay phones. Some of of your people might love this, but I used to pay phones. But um, everything in me said, whatever happened, you have to get over there right now. Yes. So we'd had the conversation. So I just had to go. And then everything in me was saying, I have no idea what's going to take place, but I know I have to just get in front of this guy right now. So I stopped the call and said, I'll be right over. And of course, there's nothing but fear and anxiety as I'm driving over. Yes. But once you get in there, it's never as bad as you think. So yeah. whatever it is, yes, it's never as bad as we think, whether it's trying to do our speed training on the treadmill at the gym, oh, yeah. I don't want to sprint for a minute. It, it's not going to be pleasant, never as bad as you think, or the, the courageous conversation you have to have with an employee yeah. or courageous conversation you have to have with a customer. It's never as bad as you think, and you just have to jump in. And we're all outside our comfort zone. But what we have to get good at is realizing we can jump outside our comfort zone. Just do it. Just yeah. do it. And, and you'll never regret that. Yeah, no, I think that's so powerful. It's it's kind of what we make up about it, our, our minds spinning out of control rather than. And I think one of the things as well, Mark, as I make up that you really cared about that customer, you really cared about making sure that job was good. So when you show up saying, you know, and again, it's not like you're saying I really care. It's just you just by your actions. I'm there, face drawn. Okay, what can we do? I agree. Let's get this fixed. You know, let's get all over it. And it just shows. And so people know that things are going to go wrong and it's how we fix them. One of the things that I was just wondering, what what had you obviously you were doing really, really well, or sorry, obvious to me, you know, uh, you know, hopefully obvious to our young leaders. But you were doing incredibly well in corporate Canada, crushing it and selling right throughout the United States, et cetera. Why did you decide to go out, go out on your own, Mark? You know, did you have fears of making it, et cetera? You know, were you worried about that, et cetera? Yes, to all of them, Chris. I'd had a corporate career that had been um, mostly with one company where I thought I would stay there. And there was a strategic change made at the executive level where um, they said, we're not going to continue to grow this business anymore. Ah. And so I think that there was a bit of a pivot point for me where they said, hey, do you want to stay? And you just manage and maintain these massive accounts. And immediately everything in me said, no, I don't. You know, I want to grow a business, but I'm not a manage and maintain guy. Right. And so now I was pivot point starting a new career and couple of, you know, new job as a senior salesperson in a new organization where I didn't have the history. I didn't have the performance record. I didn't have the. Um, reputation. Those are good things to as a bit of a wake up call again, because you have to earn all that stuff again. Right. 
And then I had decided for a couple of reasons that I, I, I make a change. So now I'm not working. I have no job. Right. I want to be a sales leader in the corporate world. Those jobs don't come around that frequently if there's some conditions like I don't want to move or I don't want to be yeah. traveling all the time. Right. And so to find a job at that level usually is going to take about a year. Okay? Right. So while I started this process of looking for this next adventure, Chris, um, a couple of smaller companies knew I was looking and people in my network and they said, well, we know a smaller startup or we know a small technology company. Why don't you just go and help them? Right. And frankly, I didn't even know what they were talking about. But what do you mean help them? Like, how does that even work? And they said, well, just go and talk to them. Right. And so i extremely fortunate where one or two of these companies said, listen, we need help. You've got experience. They almost mapped out what I would do. They said, why don't you come in here one day a week? Help us right. out. We'll give you a desk. You, get, you have a place to come downtown if you want to go to other job interviews. We know you're looking for a job and we can't afford you as our sales leader. Right. Why don't you just help us out and give us a bill for what you do and all this kind of stuff. And that, that before I knew what happened, that was happening for three different companies kind of in the core of downtown. Right. But concurrent to that, I was looking for my full-time, what I thought would be my next full-time job in the corporate world. And a large company that will remain nameless had reached out to me. I was in the interviewing process. And I'll never forget this, Chris. I was working with one of these smaller firms. They were a 60-person IT company on Bay Street at Adelaide. And I said, hey, guys, I got to leave because I've got an interview two doors down. And they knew I was. In, they, this was all part of the agreement. They go, hey, good luck, good luck. And they said, but you're going to come back this afternoon, right? And I said, sure. And so I went to this interview for the second or third, maybe fourth interview with this company. And there were six or seven people around the table right. talking about where they should take that business. And in my own mind, I was literally thinking about, well, when I take this thing over, who's going to make it? Who's not going right. to make it? What's my new team going to look like? All this kind right. of stuff. And then just like that, I had this epiphany that said, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. And in fact, I would actually prefer to go back and work with that smaller entrepreneurial technology <clears throat> company than walk back into the corporate world. Right. So we finished with the interview. I grab my knapsack. I go downstairs. Instead of going left to my current customer there, I went right to a little coffee shop called Mercado at Bay and Adelaide. It's not there right. anymore. I went in and fed my caffeine addiction again with a couple of cappuccinos, pulled out my laptop, and I built a little bit of a business plan for In the Funnel. And um, sometimes you make good decisions in life. And one of the ones I made was uh, the woman I married. Right. So I pick up the phone and called my wife, Donna, and I said, hey, I'm just sitting in a coffee shop on my second cappuccino. I don't think I'm going to get another job. I think I'm going to build a business in sales coaching and enablement. And without asking anything, she just said, do it. Exactly. She said, yeah. she, she, she said she was the just do it. She <laughs> said, you can do it for sure. Make that happen. I think that's awesome. Just do it. And I said, well, I haven't showed you the financials. We have, we have kind of a nice life. You know, you, you kind of like our lifestyle. None of that. You can do it. You should do that. Awesome. And so that was like, um, I don't know, 120 clients ago in five yeah. years. And suddenly that's just what we did. Yeah. And I always find that I was so lucky in so many ways to get to this path, but this is what I was meant to do. And this is what I was doing back in the student works days because at my core, I'm an entrepreneur. Right. And so I loved the days of the student works because it was tough. It was challenging. It was invigorating. There was personal development. That's exactly where I am again now. Yeah. It's magnificent. It's just couldn't be more fun. That's how we got here. That's fantastic. And again, it's one of the things about a sales career is that it is entrepreneurial because you are breaking new ground all the time. You are fighting for deals, fighting for margin, all these different things. You're still an entrepreneur in my mind as a sales professional, a sales manager. And also as well, like I know even just what you said, I thought I would be here forever until, oh, you guys are not growing. 
you guys are not doing this. Oh, well, hold on. Right. And then all of a sudden your entrepreneur flag comes up and says, well, hold on. That's not, that's not my type of organization. And maybe I'll start selling my services to other people. But one question I had for you, Mark, was, you know, obviously you have a fantastic sales career. A lot of people come out of our organization and the one skill that they have is amazing sales skills, you know, which are just so incredibly important to be able to drive a future in a career, et cetera. So how would you map out or what would you tell a young leader looking to sort of develop a sales career or how they should look at a sales career or, or you know, just, just providing some value there about what the landscape of a sales career can look like? Sure. So a couple of things I'd speak first to the importance of a sales career. There's a wonderful book, Chris, by a guy named Daniel Pink called To Sell is Human. Yes, read it. Love the writer. So interesting. Used to be Al Gore's speechwriter. Yes. But fundamentally, he brings back the fact that today, one in 10 people, one in nine people in the U.S. is in a professional sales role. So if you put all of those people in one state, it'd be the fifth largest state in the U.S. So lots of people sell professionally. The second thing is he brings up is of the other eight out of nine people in their professional career, 39% of their day is spent persuading someone else to their point of view. Right. Yes. The pure definition of sales. So he says everything's selling. And so the importance of driving revenue in a company cannot be overstated. Revenue fixes everything. So if you have a problem, in your business that you can write a check to fix, then you don't have a problem. That's a Dan Sullivan. Dan Sullivan, (laughs) strategic coach. Yeah. Nice memory by you, by the way. So every company wants this skill set and about half of Fortune 500 CEOs came from a professional sales career. So whether you want to be an entrepreneur or you want to be in the corporate world, having capability in selling is really important. And so the basis you get in student works that I got 25 years ago, we had a sales process, Chris. The sales training was spectacular. And at the core, it was something called need satisfaction selling. Yes. Frankly, that's what IBM used in the late 80s and early 90s. Yes. Need satisfaction selling. Yeah. It was really, really a good process, which many salespeople even today in lots of different companies don't have. So as a springboard, frankly, any organization out there, even today, when we help our customers do recruiting, if we see something like student works on a CV when they were in university, we're all over that person. Right. I uh, left student works and went into my professional sales career. The top technology sales companies in Canada were looking for people who had franchise, student franchise company experience. They went and found these people. Executive recruiters came to us because they knew we got great sales training as part of student works. Right. So critically important for every business. Every CEO wants this. Um, Really, really material and a great starting point for a young person developing their career, no matter what they want to do. I'll make one other keynote. Even if you're going into a professional services career, accounting, law, consulting, the top tiers of those companies, you become a part, an associate and a partner if you can bring in new business. Yes. Yeah. They value sales. It's not the guy or the lady with the biggest brain. It's can they bring in new business because revenue fixes everything. That's what every company wants. So the experience you garnish through the summer painting program absolutely amazing. I can't say enough good things about it. And in fact, we'd be very happy to stay connected with Student Works as we recruit new salespeople for all of the in-the-funnel company clients because they're always looking for good people. Right, right. Well, that's wonderful, Mark. And I can't agree more with what you were sharing. So, So I know we run a great sales training. And one of the interesting things just to share is we've, like you said, had all sorts of amazing past district managers, like you said, been been part of our organization. They go into sales careers and then literally are the program that we used to teach now is that plus, 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 plus. 
because yeah. we've taken any of the, the great sales tools and, and systems and more questions and more fact finding and all sorts of things to, to really, again, make our program even better. But any sales tips in your mind, uh, you know, as a, as a young leader coming out, any frames of mind or whatever that you would look at that are really important? Sure. Because um, I would be really remiss not to ask this guy who sold literally billions of business on <laughs> the best sales tips. You know what, I, Chris, I break it down to two simple things. I think the best salespeople are constantly working on um, the right mindset, the right skill set, and the right tool set. So if you're a salesperson listening today or considering that, Bucket things into those three categories. You have to have the right mindset, the right skill set, and the right tool set. And if I look back, by the way, on the early days of working with a, a younger Chris Thompson, and even the one today from what I see, your mindset from the get-go, Chris, was always something that I aspired to. So you have to have the right mindset, the positive framework. And perhaps from your early days of highly, highly competitive swimming, and the achievement you, you would garnish, positive mental attitude means something. Man yes. Intentionally managing your mindset means something. So if those are the three important things that salespeople have to work on, then over here, in our experience, the three things that we see most consistently with top performing salespeople, number one, they consistently follow a standard sales process. So in their sales pursuits, they don't behave like they're a series of unrelated events. They actually follow a sales process. The second thing they do well is they understand the volume and velocity of deals they need in what's called their sales funnel to hit their goals. Yeah. So they fill the pipeline with enough because they understand the volume and velocity of pipeline they need to hit their goals. And the third thing that best salespeople that we've come across do religiously is they plan and prepare religiously for key interactions with a customer, whether it's that first approach call, whether that third meeting, or whether it's thinking through the strategy of how to progress your sales cycle, they plan religiously. Just those three things, consistent sales process, understand the volume and velocity of deals to get to your goals and plan for key interactions with a customer. Well, there's so much to be said there. Like, that's just so wise. And, and again, I hope our young leaders reverse the podcast, listen to that piece again. I really recommend. I just love that. And I think so often we look at people and it's just like, wow, Mark just sounds so good, right? Like Mark just prepares and, and he presents things so well. It's clearly off the cuff. no. That little piece that you just delivered is something that you've delivered thousands of times, right? I, I just imagine, right? Like, it's yeah, just, you're right. Like, here's my big three. Here's the power of my big three. This is what I've seen it. And, and I could just see that that's been delivered. And again, by the way, not in a, in a see, oh, wow, no, think less of. No, think more of, right? Yeah. This is preparation meets an opportunity. Bang, here it comes. The power of rehearsal in the professional community is undervalued and it, and it perplexes me. Yeah. But planning and thinking through even, you know, very often, Chris, will, you know, our one-on-ones with salespeople when we're coaching them, the sales leaders got to plan intentionally for that. Yeah. I think there had been for a while this, this thing where, okay, well, if I don't have to think about it, must show I'm a genius. Yes. It's quite the opposite. No. <laughs> Yes, quite the opposite. <laughs> so, so the importance of planning and preparation, I think, can for our young leaders on on this one, ask yourself this question: When have you walked out of anything where you said, "Boy, I planned too much for that"? <laughs> Boy, I was really over prepared for that one. Yeah, you know. So, so there's certain things we have to be very good at professionally and in life. You have to be very good at that which you can control. Because there will be things that we can't control that are going to come at us. But if I have control of something, show up on time, show up early, be well prepared, have the right mental state, be keen, be optimistic. The things I can control, I better be very, very good at. Because lots of stuff's going to hit me that I can't control. Yeah. Oh, I I really love that, Mark. And uh, 
oh gosh, all of a sudden I was going to throw something back at you and it's lost. Oh, here's what it is. It's, you know, first of all, I think a lot of people who go into sales want freedom or be an entrepreneur want freedom. So, so we want freedom and we think these structures, the way to go about a sales call is the same way. The, the way to sort of rehearse and deal with somebody in, in, okay, great, I've got this. That structure is going to give me less freedom. No, that structure will give me more freedom. That yes. says, okay, great, boom. Mark's asking that question. Bang, I've got a great piece. I've used this piece before. And so then, yes, there will be opportunities to, well, I've never faced that before then great. I'm relying on my experience and my skill set to make it as best I can. But that ongoing rehearsal is just going to make me better and give me more freedom. Yeah, Chris, you are spot on. That's exactly what it does. And what it means is actually, I can be in an authentic conversation with someone because I'm not worried about where the sales interaction is going to go. In my mind, I've burned in what the process is going to look like. Yeah. So, so if I'm not worried about the next thing I have to say, because I already know where it's going to come from. Yeah. And it can actually be engaged in an, off, in an authentic conversation, which is sure. what somebody wants. So, you know, and it can be about them instead of about me. Yes. If I don't know where the conversation is going to go, then when you're talking, I'm just thinking about the next thing I'm going to say. So I can't really process what you're saying. For sure. So, yeah. so the rehearsal and the expertise that comes from that frees you up to be you in a sales call, but still be driving the process to what's required. Exactly. Exactly. So, Mark, one thing I love to ask, and I love actually as well, the many of the authentic shares that we've had just around setbacks, around things that have gone sideways. Because, again, obviously, we're, we're having people on this podcast because they've been massively successful. But a lot of times people don't get hold on, here's what's happened to me. Here's the challenges. Here's yeah. the things that have gone sideways. So, so I'd love if you could share on that, Mark, and, and some of the you know things for our young leaders. Sure. In terms of setbacks, Chris, I think we need another hour and a half. <laughs> so I, yeah, I've got some people here who are working for us who want to line up and share a lot of the mistakes I make in a given week. So, so I'll go right back to the early days when I jumped, frankly, one of the things that was tough for me in terms of my mindset, when I jumped in from the student works days into selling for a living, I actually literally thought it was a step back because I'd kind of been this business leader entrepreneur. Um, I had peer groups at the time who were in professional services, you know, like financial services or law. And the concept of a salesman seemed a bit like a trade in those days. And it yeah. really had an impact on my self-esteem, or at least I didn't, maybe the opposite, I didn't feel very proud of it. Right. That only came through time. The second thing I'd say is a very big setback is, in my mind, the difference between the corporate world and entrepreneurs, and there's pros and cons to each, but entrepreneurs take control and make their living. Yes. And that's what salespeople do. They, they're not expecting someone else to create a job or an opportunity. They make their living. The corporate world, many people there think, hey, if I do well, the corporation will take care of me. There was a very big setback for me when I'd been kind of you know, somebody in a big company for a long period of time. And I just thought the corporation would continue to challenge me and, and help me progress. But that didn't happen. And in fact, they changed strategic direction. And suddenly I had to come up with plan B. And that was a real setback. And I had to get my head around this fact that it had been 10 or 11 years. And now I had to look for a job. In looking for a job, at a certain level, that becomes a very tough thing to do. Because there just aren't that many people who run, you know, technology companies. If you want to live in Canada. So, and when there are those jobs, there's a whole sales team of people who want those jobs before they come to an outsider. Yeah. So that was a real tough thing to, and and I would have been in my late thirties trying to go, what do I do now? And it's not going to happen tomorrow. And there isn't a lineup of people banging my door saying, Hey, Mark, why don't you come work for me? Yes. You have to go and find them. Yes. That was another thing that would have been a setback. I think in the early days of running in the funnel, if you wanted to focus on, there's three or four setbacks every week. A client we didn't get, 
you know, something we did that wasn't perfect as of yet. Uh, lots of mistakes made. And Chris, I'm going to be the first to admit, I make loads of mistakes still every week. Right. But they don't paralyze me anymore. So there's certain mistakes I won't allow myself to make. I'm not going to make a mistake because I didn't put in the effort. Right. Yeah. If I put in the effort and I didn't hit the ball out of the park, then that's experience and learning I'm going to take away. I don't make the mistake of beating myself up anymore if something doesn't go the right way. Why? Because that wastes even more time. It's not helpful. Yeah. No integrity in that. Right. (laughs) I don't make the mistake of surrounding myself with people who don't put wind in my sail. Okay. Yeah. Love it. You, You know, it's, you come in the entrepreneurial world, which is why I'm so pleased that we've connected in again. We're a function of the people you spend time with. So they're much more intentional about that. You know, they, there's some people say, hey, you're, you're actually a function of the five people you spend most time with. Right. There have been uh, many setbacks, Chris, and I had lots of setbacks in my student works days as well, where um, there'd be a success and then a setback. And that peer group was very, very impressive. And when we opened new divisions, it didn't always go the way we hoped or certain people didn't work out. I think uh, the setback is what gives you the experience. I'll say one other thing, frankly, as a sales coach, I've lost many deals in my sales career where my solution would have been the same or better than somebody else. So the only answer is they sold me, outsold me. Right. And, and so there's lots of setbacks along the way. I think what we have to do every quarter is identify some of the things that we can learn from and then move on. Manage the mindset and move on and focus on the positives because there's also been lots of those too. I think that's great. I think it's one of those things where it's, by the sounds of it, Mark, it's almost like you've anesthetized yourself to all the bad stuff that happens because of your um, hard work and effort. And, you know, again, you live in Canada, you're, you know, again, you've got great genes, you're very fortunate, you know, well-educated, all those things have added to lots of success. And so when you look at setbacks, it's like, of course, that didn't go well. And again, from the outside, it looks like successful people, you know, are walking on water or are really lucky. I always love the difference between luck. It's not luck. It's hard work plus luck. That's really what it is. And and that's what continuous ongoing success you know, I've had I've had good friends who have had situations like you had decades of success in the corporate world. And then all of a sudden, you know, people don't understand our, a lot of times our young leaders. Um, you know, I don't know what you were making. You never told me, but Mark would have been making. Sorry, I make up Mark would have been making hundreds of thousands of dollars in the role that he was he was in. And it's just hard to go find another role. And who is this Mark Cox guy? And so it's and does Mark need that amount of money to live? Of course not. But, you know, would he want continuous ongoing success? Yes. And would he want to provide amazing value in the world? Yes. And you can see as well, just your, your frame of reference, your mindset, um, you know, going at it is, is really, really powerful for your ongoing success. Absolutely right, Chris. And, you know, one of the things I'll help folks uh, remember is it's all context. So mm-hmm. today I, I would have had in that corporate world, I might have had visions of being maybe the top person in the company. Yes. And, and, and maybe they shared some of those with me. So that says I might have had that frame of reference in one year. And literally within 12 months after that, I no longer am working there. Mm-hmm. And so at certain times, that may have appeared at that point in time as literally some of the worst professional news I'd ever had, like the worst situation you could imagine. But I look at, with context now where I am today, I am so thankful that happened. Yeah. Because it caused this set of cascading events that, uh, frankly, I am so thrilled I get to do this now, but it would never have happened. Not like I would have become, you know, a second top guy and then suddenly said, well, I'm going to go start a company. I would have, may not have ever evolved to it. Yes. So everything is part of this journey and there's learning to take from it. And as long as you just buckle down and persevere, I really believe the harder you work, the luckier you get. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and we all keep learning them, but there, there is no journey. I've never come across a journey of anybody that's been all peaches and cream. 
No, no. It just may look like that from the outside, right? And that, that's one of the things as well where, you know, your comments about building a network, having relationships with other people and, and actually getting beyond the cocktail talk of here's what's going great. And by the way, there are great things going, but yeah. here's what's really challenging for us. Here's what's really set us back personally, professionally, physically, or whatever. And that no one gets through this unscathed. Everyone is going to have lots of challenges. We were so privileged, by the way, Chris, during that period of time, you know, as trying to sort out the career and yes, hadn't landed on this. I had one or two friends whose level of support for starting in the funnel, there would be no in the funnel if it wasn't for those two people. Yeah. Whether they, the conversations just instilled me with this confidence that I wasn't seeing myself through their, you know, their eyes. They saw something I hadn't seen. Um, and there were two people in particular who will never leave my consciousness because they caused this to happen. Yeah. And, you know, first of all, I hope at some point in time I get to show them that level of friendship back. Right. Um, but, but I'm eternally grateful for it. And it was so essential at that point in time that I absolutely hive off anybody that wasn't a productive relationship for me at the time. Yes. You know, so all of these things were very fortunate and every life that, you know, that we've come across had some setbacks. In fact, some of the most successful business leaders I know have been through bankruptcy. Oh, yes, for sure. Yes. Yeah. You know, a couple of times, some of yeah. them a couple of times. Yeah. And you kind of think, what do they have? They have perseverance. They yes. just buckle down and then usually a positive mental attitude to help take them on. If you're, if you're going to reach for the stars, there's going to be a couple of bumps along the way. But it's a way better journey. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. I guess eventually I'll get into some of my huge bumps because had lots of them and uh, just enormous, enormous setbacks that have really, really, you know, shook me. And and again, like you said, it's just roll roll up your sleeves and move forward. But you know, one of the things that I was thinking is what key habits would a young leader want to steal from you? You know, what's what's kind of the secret to success or some of your secrets to your success, Mark? Hmm. I think, first of all, I'm a big one on, uh, obviously you can sell, you know, I'm not in, you know, a big guy or anything of that nature, but I do like to stay physically active. Yeah. And so I, I do think that a lot of positive things happen from just some form of regular fitness routine. Yes. Um, for um, is very, very positive. The second thing I'm kind of big on these days um, is some form of mental calmness. Like I, frankly, I like, I have a bit of a cheap and cheerful version of meditation each morning. Just deep breathing a few minutes to calm my mind and focus on thinking about the things I'm most grateful for. And that's a very long list. Yes. And and it it may sound, I don't know if this would have resonated with the 21 year old version of the box, (laughs) but, um, but it was really something that is very, very helpful. The third thing is uh, a habit I really appreciate is just some form of learning every day. Okay. Um, so, so I do like to read. Yeah. You like to, you know, both personal development and, and sales. And here's a big one that you may remember a version of this from Strategic Coach. I do plan most of my weeks, Chris, on a Sunday morning and some quiet time. Right. Up early, sit down at a desk, beautiful sun coming in. But I start that by just listing out kind of five or 10 super positive developments from the previous week. Mm-hmm. And I write them in a book, one of my books that I keep. And I kind of use different colored pens for different colored weeks. But I think it's important to continually remind myself of the great things that have happened right. for me or the family or the business. Right. The next thing I do after that is in the quiet time, I plan out my week. Mm-hmm. So, so what are the top priorities? You know, not a list of 30, but just kind of for this week, what are the five things I want to accomplish? Just a nice white piece of paper and, you know, graph paper. What are the key projects I've been working for some time that I want to make progress on? But map out specifically, how do we define success for the week before I get into the heat of battle? For sure. You know, nobody's calling, everything's quiet, I'm in a a good place. That planning process has served me kind of well, so I can stay focused on that which is most important. That's a huge habit. 
That's awesome, Mark. And I have I have actually very similar habits. And I, I love one of the things is, again, for our young leaders, building on the positive, right? There's no such thing as perfection. Building on the positive. Here's what went well. Let's build that up. We're winning. You know, life is going well. And it's so easy to point to the things that aren't working or didn't go well or whatever. Of course, that's we know that's happening. But it's like, let's in the light of day, you know, hey, look at all the great things that are going on and and let's resonate, let's marinate ourselves in that and then move on it with power. So when you think of a leader of tomorrow, our last question, what comes to mind? You know, there's this thing in our brains, Chris, called plasticity and plasticity. And I'm no biologist. I'm no super smart guy, but um, I'm reading kind of a fun book right now called The Net and the Butterfly or The Butterfly and the Net. And it, it shares that plasticity is when we try something different or we have a new thought. There's a physical change in our brain where synapse fired between, there's a neurotransmitter that's actually created in our brain that didn't exist there. There's billions of them. Right. And so the more you do things for the first time and try different things, the more plastic your brain. Right. And the less you do, the less plastic your brain. I think the leader of tomorrow is going to be somebody who's got a high degree of plasticity in terms of their brain, meaning they can take on new challenges, they can learn new things, they're open-minded, and it's it's ongoing learning, whether it's technology or process or strategy, they just continue to learn. The second thing I, I think is really important in the leader of tomorrow is to be a good listener. And so it's in this day and age of, of lots of information and lots of talk and lots of boasting. I think understanding is probably a little bit more important than being understood. For sure. And so, so a good listener, somebody who wants to um, develop people, you know, a good coach, a good teacher, I think that's part of the, the leader for tomorrow. And the third thing I think is really important, um, and maybe for the younger leaders out there today, remember to have fun. Yeah, the whole for sure. Thing. Yeah. You know, like Chris, one of the things I always like about chatting with you is I'm two comments away from getting a laugh out of you at almost any point. Why? Because you're you're buoyant, you're happy. Yeah. You know, laughter is some pretty great medicine for whatever might come our way. So so we gotta make sure that in a given week it's not all focus, focus, focus. It's let's have a little fun out there. Let's play play a little beer league hockey, yeah. and play a little basketball, meet up with your friends and have some fun. And I'll throw out the other thing, um, you know, just the leaders today, you're going to need passion and compassion. Yeah, like, sure. like those, those are kind of the attributes of people we want on the team. Now, when we hire, we're, we're a bit more signed. We want drive. We want humility. Yeah. We actually want intelligence, compassion. Um, those are kind of the four things that we always look for. But I think leadership is going to, you've got to have this way of getting the team to want to follow you and good coaches who are compassionate and also passionate. It's easy to be a transformative leader when you've got those things going for you. So it's a great question. I don't have a perfect answer for that one, Chris. Well, a powerful answer, Mark, a powerful answer. And and Mark, you shared so many amazing nuggets of wisdom and and experience and real life lessons uh, in this podcast. We so appreciate your time today. And uh, and again, I know we'll stay connected. Again, uh, we'll have you out to training soon. I know I've got this uh, amazing rock star group of people who come out to our trainings. It was a number of years ago that we had Mark out and he just wowed the room with all sorts of amazing, amazing uh, uh, shares just like here. Yeah. So again, Mark, thanks so much and uh, continued success within the funnel. And again, have a, have a fantastic day. Hey, Chris, I just want to say one quick thing. Thank you to you. Okay. So um, it's been so delightful to reconnect after all of these years. And to the young leaders listening, the type of approach a leader like Chris Thompson brought to the table 25 years ago with his leadership style being the type of person I wanted to aspire to become in terms of a leader. It was fun to work with. I learned so much from you, Chris, back in the day. And it's so great to see that 25 years later, I'm still learning a ton from you. And it's a credit to your reputation that so many of these people in your program that you built 
have gone on to these great things after this wonderful foundation they received from Student Works Painting. So great to connect with you. And boy, when we do our podcasts, you'll be one of our first guests because uh, it's just awesome connecting with such a fantastic leader. And I'm so thrilled with where you've taken that organization. Being a leader of one of the, was it the Deloitte Fast 50 you won or the um, yeah, we've we Ernst and Young. We won uh, Entrepreneur of the Year, and we we've been uh, uh, so. five hundred. And uh, so so you know, thank you, Mark. And we've we've really st- stood on the shoulders of just amazing alumni who have continued to share. And but I will also, you know, I, I don't want to deflect. Thank you, thank you for your kind words. Thank you for for your generous comments. I, I really appreciate that. And thank you for everything you did for me back in the day. And are still doing now with these types of things. I really appreciate it, Chris. Okay, thanks so much. You have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, leaders. We've got a ton more interviews like this one coming up in the next few weeks. So if you're listening and you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe to Leaders of Tomorrow. If you enjoy our content, please give us a share on your Facebook feed, or better yet, tell your three most driven and entrepreneurial friends about this podcast so they can join us in discovering what set these powerful business leaders apart from the crowd at such a young age.